Mitch. Listen, this has been a long time coming. I just hope he hasn't saved it all up for this one sermon. <laughs> if he did, I hope you packed a lunch. Now, where you, listen, 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 listen. This is, um, this is answer prayer. Uh, this is God still working in the hearts of people. And you know how real we are around here. We don't fake it. We're honest about our struggles. We're honest about our hurts. And Mitch has walked through one of those hardest struggles this year in the loss of his father and uh, having to go through a lot of questioning of why would a good God. Am I stepping? I'm sorry. No, you're, you're, anyway. you're great. Uh, you're awesome. Hey, one more. Let's just lift up one more prayer of praise. Father, we thank you that even though we struggle sometimes and we question and we doubt and even distance ourselves, God, you pursue us. Yes. It just reminds us of your love. God, I believe Mitch standing here today is a picture of grace. You don't give up on us, and so we don't give up on each other. And so I pray that you just embolden him. He is passionate. His, I know his faith is stirring. He has some desire today to proclaim your truth. I pray that you give us ears to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Absolutely. I was going to say that me standing up here today is a testament to God's grace. Like, that's it. Uh, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever. There is nothing that I have ever done that God should allow me to come and be able to proclaim his word, to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. And so I just I think about this. If you're sitting there today and you're thinking, does God really love me? As we just sung there this morning, that song before that talked about how the breath that we have, we praise God with that. But think about this, that oftentimes that breath that, that God gives us as a gift, we don't praise him, but we curse him. And yet you are still sitting here today. His grace and his mercy is on you today. God really loves you. God really loves you. Always. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Absolutely, he always loves you. No matter how far you run away, if God has called you, if you are his child, if he chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in Christ Jesus, there is no place that you can run where he will not go and he will not pursue you. He will bring you back no matter where you are. He will not let you go. There is absolutely no power in this world that is greater than God himself. So today, as we gather here in this room, it is a reason for celebration because there is no sin that has overtaken us that God cannot save you from. He has sent his son Jesus into the world and he has paid the sin debt for all who would ever believe in him. And so if you are sitting here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray that by the end of this service today, that you would surrender your life, that you would surrender your heart to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is no greater God. He is the only God. He is the Lord and he is the King of the world. He will reign forever, forever, absolutely. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We will continue the exposition uh, through the book of Matthew this morning. And it is just amazing uh, what God has been doing in my life um, ever since he, he came and he found me and brought me back and said, Mitch, listen, I called you to preach and you're not going to run away. You're going to do it whether you want to or not. And he has given me a new desire. And so therefore, I've just been praying and praying and praying, God, if you want me to preach, if you want me to preach, just give me opportunity, just give me opportunity. And then this week, Rick, I'm out of town. I'm working in Iowa and working 12-hour days. And Rick texts me, and he's like, do you want to preach this week? And I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to have time to prepare this, but I'm going to preach this week. So that's why. So I'm here, and it's only by the grace of God that this is going to turn out well. Um, 
this morning, all right? <laughs> so, anyway, Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verses 15 through 21 is where we'll begin today. Um, but that's not where the focus of my of our, our most of the time today will be. Most of the time will be spent in verses 22 through 37. But as I started like praying, whenever whenever I got that message, do you want to preach? I started praying, and I was like, God, what? Do you, where do you want me to preach? What do you want me to preach, God? What? And it's just like, and it was just like the Spirit of God was like, just continue with the exposition of Matthew. Just continue what we're already doing. And so I started preparing, and as I was preparing, like these verses here, 15 through 21, I spent hours, I bet you five or six hours, just going through these, taking notes, studying some different things about it. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, move on to the next section. So while I'm going to mention this and we're going to begin here, like this is not where we will spend most of our time. But if you remember last week, so we see Jesus last week and his disciples, and as they're going, and it's on the Sabbath, and as they're going through the grain fields, they are picking these heads of wheat, and they are eating, and the Pharisees say, come, and they tell Jesus, like, it's not lawful that they should be doing that on the Sabbath. And so we have this big dispute that happens where the Pharisees are trying to maintain the law, um, and they are not leaving any room at all for grace, and they are not leaving any room at all for mercy. And they do not understand the law, is, is what Jesus would tell them. Um, because he said, he said, I want to show you mercy, or I, I want you to show mercy, not, not offer sacrifices. And so then, then they, whenever they go into the synagogue, there's, there's this man, and he's got this hand that's deformed. And then the Pharisees, again, trying to trip up Jesus like they always do, trying to catch him and breaking the law. They said, so is it lawful that, that to permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? And then Jesus, of course, in his fashion that he always does, he answers their question with a, with a question, which is always amazing to me. He said, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? And without hesitation, doesn't even give him a chance to answer. And he says, well, of course you would. Of course you would pull that sheep out of there. And he says, yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And so Rick talked last week about this rest that we have um, and that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. So rest was made for man. And so it is good to rest. But whenever this happened and Jesus heals this man, he holds out his hand and his, his hand comes back in his form. And it says it was restored just like the other hand. And then the Pharisees called a meeting to uh, to plot how to kill Jesus. This is what they were always doing. One thing that I have to note about the Pharisees, though, I will tell you this, is they are absolutely persistent. If nothing else, they are persistent. Like, what they, they are setting out to do, they'll follow Jesus, even if he, if he's ridiculing them or, or whatever, mocking, like, they'll follow him, and they're trying to find anything. So they are absolutely persistent. So if we can learn anything, if I can learn anything from them, is the persistence of following Jesus, not to try to disprove him, but absolutely persistence to follow Jesus. So anyway, starting in verse 15, it says this. After, after we talked about the Pharisees called the meeting to plot how to kill Jesus in verse 14, he says, but Jesus knew what they were planning. Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. So just a minute. 
I want to talk about what's going on. So Jesus knew. Today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's going on, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. They're here, like he understands that it's not his time to die. Jesus did, and so this is why he would flee. He knew what they were thinking. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son. He is omniscient. He knows absolutely everything. And even in coming to this earth, being incarnated in human flesh, he did not give up that attribute. He is still God. If he would have given up his omniscience, then he would no longer have been God. Because what makes God, God is all of his attributes combined is what makes him God. And so you can't, he can't just give it up. He knows. And we will see later in the text, he, he, he'll, he'll know the thoughts of the Pharisees again here in a little while. But God knows absolutely everything. He knows absolutely everything. And so he leaves this area, and just like in typical fashion, many people follow after him. They see what has happened. They see what, what he has done, and so they follow after him. And then we see the visible image of the invisible God, and that is he heals all who are sick among them. In this sense, we see the compassion of God on those who are sick here. We see God in the flesh. So he healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. Why? Because this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. So verse 18, he says, Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Whenever it says that, he will not crush the, the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He's talking about those who are ill, those who are sick. Like whenever a person would have leprosy, they would, call, they would tell them to go outside of the city and put them off on their own as if they were a candle that was about to burn out. But it says there, Jesus, would, he would not put out that flickering candle. Instead, he would restore them. It says, finally, he would cause justice to be victorious. And the greatest thing, verse 21, it's absolutely amazing. And his name will be the hope of all the world. His name will be the hope of all the world. But I want to, for just a minute though, I want to go through some of these verses. He says, look at my servant whom, whom I've chosen. There in verse 18, this is God speaking. And as, and as Isaiah, think about this, I think it was like 600 years earlier. I didn't look it up. But like 600 years earlier, whenever Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 42, and he says, look at my servant. This is Isaiah being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to pen these words that God is speaking to him. And he is saying, this is my servant whom I have chosen. Now, it wasn't in that moment that Isaiah, that Isaiah was writing this that God chose him at that moment. It is not like that at all, folks. I want you to understand something about God. Whenever, I, whenever we talk about the omniscience of God and we, know that, and we say that Jesus knows absolutely everything, that before the foundation of the world, God knew that Jesus would be his servant. And you can look throughout the, the, all the Old Testament and you can see all the prophecies of Jesus, of the one who would come. And we see it first off in Genesis 3, right after the fall. And it says that, that the servant will bruise his heel, but, but the, the, the um, offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. 
And so there at the very beginning, we see the prophecy of Jesus coming. The Bible also says that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. He has always been. God is outside of time. He is not confined by time like we are. We are restrained by the confines of time, and God is absolutely outside of time. And so therefore, not only is he in this moment right now, but he is also in the moment whenever this was happening back 2,000 years ago, just like he's in the moment that he, where before the foundation of the world, he is there, and yet he is still in the eternity in the future. He is absolutely everywhere all at one time. And so not only do we see the omniscience of God, but we see the omnipotence of God, and we see the omnipresence of God. He is absolutely all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he is absolutely everywhere. There is no place, David said, where I can go that I can be the Spirit of God. Absolutely no place. So today, where where are you going to go to flee from God? Where are you going to go? You're not. You're not going to flee from God. You're not going to flee from God. So I pray that you would see Jesus in the light of how these people in the crowd were seeing Jesus today. If you are here today and you are not a believer, I pray that you would see Jesus like this because I'm telling you, there's nowhere that you're ever going to go, that you're ever going to flee from the presence of God. He is an almighty God. And so he says, he's my beloved who pleases me. He's his beloved. He is the begotten son. He is God, the son, God of God. And he is his beloved. How much you ask yourself today, how much does God love you? That he would choose his own son to be a servant to us, to die on a cross in our place, that we could have life eternal that we could stand before him holy and blameless. How much does God love you? What would you, what would it take for you to have to give up your son for someone else? Would you even do it? Or a child at all? It'd be pretty hard. I got three kids myself. It'd be very difficult to give up my child for anyone else. And yet this is the perfect son of God who has always existed in eternity past and eternity future. He will always, has always, will always exist. And he has been perfect. He is the beloved. He pleases, he does whatever the will of the Father is. And he says, I will put my spirit upon him. So we see this at the baptism there. Whenever he, he goes and, and the spirit descends upon him. And the spirit, we will see here later in the text, the spirit is what's causing him to go as he's surrendering himself to the Spirit. The Spirit is what is going and what is actually healing the people and casting out the demons and all of those types of things. What we see here, he says, he will not fire, shout, he will not raise his voice in public. I think Jesus, if we could see him, like he was probably just like pretty calm, ill-mannered man, like just, you know, not like super excited. Like, I mean, probably just went and just, I would think, just spoke. Spoke like we are speaking now. And he says he will not crush the weakest reed. And again, like I said, that was just pointing to he was going to heal those uh, who were sick and ill. And then, of course, verse 21, and his name will be the hope of all the world. It is the hope of all the world. It is the definite article, the hope. There is no other hope, folks. If you're sitting here today and you are searching for something that is going to satisfy you, if you have been 
all around this world trying to find other things to satisfy you. And then you have come in here today thinking maybe, just maybe this is it. I am telling you, this is it. This is the only thing that will ever satisfy you. He is the hope of all the world. There is absolutely no money in this world that is going to make you happy. There is absolutely no, no political position that you're going to receive. There is no socioeconomic position that you're going to achieve that's ever going to be good enough. But I can tell you today that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Even in my wandering, trying to figure out what was going on in my life, who Jesus was in my unfaithfulness, I still knew one thing. Jesus died for me. He was my hope. He was my hope. And he is the hope of all of the world. And this is good for us today. Let's think about this Isaiah writing this be to, the, to Israel, to the nation of Israel. But he is the hope of all the world. The gospel message has gone and is going, is continuing to still go into all of the world. It hasn't just ended with Israel, God's chosen nation. It is continuing on. All right, so let's move on here. Verses 22 through 37, and this is a lot to cover. I don't even know how we're going to do this, but we're going to do it. Um, it says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of the demons. Think about how it would be to be a man or person who is blind and mute. Not only can you not see to get anything for yourself, you cannot take care of yourself, so you must rely on somebody else, but you can't even speak to tell people what you need or what you want. This would be absolutely miserable to be in this position. But think about this. What if it's deeper than that? What if it's more of a spiritual application? that we are blind spiritually and we are mute spiritually. Think about that. All of this is all about spiritual application. And so all of us, because of sin, we are blind and we are mute whenever it comes to spirituality towards God. And except Jesus heals us, we will never see and we will never be able to speak of the goodness of God. And so we are totally dependent upon him. There should be much rejoicing in the house of God amongst God's people whenever somebody comes to salvation. Whenever come, somebody comes to Jesus and they are saved by his amazing grace, there should be celebration. Greater than whenever we see this, this here, a man who is physically impaired is healed. Yes, that is absolutely amazing. And like Rick was saying last week, like, if that happened amongst us today, if a man was sitting here, if somebody was sitting here and they was healed and they were blind and they couldn't speak and yet all of a sudden they could see and they started to speak, how crazy this place would be, how amazing our celebration would be. But how much more amazing should our celebration be that we get to come in here every single week, people who were blind and who could not speak spiritually and yet God pulled the scales off of our eyes, just like he did Saul whenever he was on his road to Damascus to go kill Christians. And Jesus confronts him and knocks him off of, his, of a horse. And then he pulls the scales from his eyes and he can see clearly. He spiritually enlightens him to be able to understand the goodness of God and the gospel. 
And so every week that we come in here, it should be a celebration. It should be a testament to the goodness of God, to the graciousness and the mercy of who God is. And yet oftentimes we sit there in our seats thinking, man, what am I going to have for lunch? What am I doing the rest of the day? Huh? I got a hard week ahead of me. I got to go out of town. I got to go to work. This is God. We gather in this place this morning to worship God. But uh, it's all right. You don't have to be embarrassed in here. Okay, folks? You can worship freely. Listen, I stand back there and I think I jump around in all kinds of weird stuff. And nobody ever says anything to me. Like, I feel kind of weird sometimes walking out of here. I'm like, wow, that was kind of weird. And it's going up there like this. But, like, seriously, nobody says anything. But seriously, whenever God grips your spirit and he is alive and you understand the grace of God, how is it not that we are not shouting from the rooftops? Man, I was reading a book. I can't remember what book it was so long ago. But it was talking about how we can go to sporting events and how we can cheer and we can yell for our, the team that we want and we can get upset whenever something goes wrong and we don't want, but yet we can't even come into church and we can't even celebrate what God has done for us. Be excited about it. Be excited about it. This is training for eternity, folks. This is what it's going to be like. God's people, God's chosen people, those who he has gathered together are going to praise and worship him for all of eternity. Yeah, that's exciting. That's amazing. It's amazing that God would take a man who is blind, who cannot speak, yet has a sinful, wicked heart and send his son die on a cross to pay for him and to heal him of his blindness. That is absolutely amazing. And so the crowd was there and it says they were amazed. Absolutely. I would be amazed too if I saw something like that. It says, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? So it's like the spirit of God is starting to stir inside of them. And they're starting to question, could this be? Could this be the one that the scriptures was pointing us to? Is this him? And look what the Pharisees say. When they heard about it, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan. He's the prince of the demons. No, they're they're saying to, to the crowd, no, this ain't the Messiah. This guy's got a demon. He's working for Satan. Talk about spiritual blindness. Isn't it amazing that the group of people who would have understood the law and the prophets, or would have known, not understood, they would have known the law and the prophets more than probably the crowd. This is an assumption. The crowd that was there, that was gathered there, and yet they cannot see that this is the Messiah, that this is God's chosen servant. They can't see it. They absolutely cannot see it. So it's not always just about knowledge, because they would have knowledge of the Scriptures. I have known people that have that have a knowledge of the Bible. They can quote scriptures, and yet they are as far from God as they can. So unless something supernatural happens, except the Holy Spirit of God intervenes in your heart, you will never understand. You will never know. Like the scriptures do not make sense until you until you grasp, till you come to faith in Jesus. Then everything starts to play out and it starts to make sense. And so may we be a people who not, only know of God, but that we know God, that we know God. I pray that God would be gracious to us, that we would, he would reveal himself to us in that way. But it says, Jesus knew their thoughts and he replied, 
He said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your exorcists? So the the Pharisees also have exorcists to go around casting out demons. He said, so what about them? He says, they will condemn you for what you have said. He says, but if I am casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. If I am casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. This is such a simple thing that Jesus says here talking about these kingdoms and and how if you're divided like he's like if i'm casting out demons according to the power of satan then i'm doing nothing more than just harming and deterring people from satan like that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever but one thing i have to stop and say and this doesn't exactly apply in the way that but but i was thinking about this this week as i was going through this and i was thinking about because he he says here he says, a town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And I think, and I believe, me personally, and I have seen this, that the church, we have got to stop uh, back by and fighting against each other. And I'm not talking about here in this congregation. I love this congregation, and I, this is a great family, and I love it. But I'm talking about, like, denomination against denomination. I'm talking about those type of things. Like, we have got to stop that. Why? He said, because it will fall apart. It will fall apart. I think a lot of the reason why people want nothing to do with the church in America is because if you want to find quarreling and fighting, you don't need to go to the church for it. They can find it anywhere in their life. And I have seen this played out multiple times. Not many of you know my story, and it's not something I share very often, but I have been rejected from four different churches. I've been asked to leave to resign or they will vote me out, whatever you want, however you want to do it, it doesn't matter. Just simply for preaching this same gospel that I'm preaching to you. And so we are fighting amongst ourselves. We are destroying our own king. And let, let me tell you something. I'm not innocent in all of this because there was times that I reacted and I acted in the way that I should not have. It was not glorifying God in any way whatsoever. It was sin on my part. But the detriment that I saw it do to people who are innocent bystanders forever. Like, I'm, if I could go back and change that, I would. People who had nothing to do with any of it got drug into it. I've seen an associate pastor throw his keys at the senior pastor and tell him that if I remained in that church, that he wasn't coming back. Like, I've seen some crazy stuff. And it's simply for preaching this exact same gospel. And it's all local. They're all local. But at the end of the day, as I look back, while our methodology might be a little different in some of those churches, we still believe in the same Jesus. We still believe in salvation through Christ alone. And so I think about like the time that we had uh, at the Paul Festival here, whenever, and I guess I'll just go with this. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to. But whenever Lisa contacted those other churches to see if, if they would serve along with us, And it just so happened that the guy that I got put with was not from our church. And um, he officiated Casey and I's wedding years ago. 
And I was an atheist, or claimed to be an atheist. The Bible says there are no atheists. But anyway, at that time, and whenever that guy officiated my wedding, I was seriously just calling around trying to find anybody that would do it that I could just pay. And I told them, I don't want to hear anything about God, and I don't want you praying. I want no scripture, none of that. And the guy said, give me the money, and I'll do it. And he did. And for years after I became a believer in Jesus, I really, and I, this is sin. I had to repent of this this week as I was reading through this. Like, I'm always like, man, I don't know about that guy. Like, I don't know where he's at and all. And then I got that opportunity to serve right alongside of him down here on Main Street. And I realized, talking to him, that he loves the Lord just like I do. And so while I was fighting against the church of God, like while I was fighting against my own brothers and sisters, causing, I mean, it could have been causing division that I have no idea about. But isn't it great here, folks? Isn't it great that the, that the kingdom of God is not totally dependent upon us, the growth of the kingdom of God? Thank God for grace and mercy. Thank God for grace and mercy. Because if, if it was dependent on us, we'd done destroyed it. <laughs> we, we have a way of doing things like that. So anyway, I digress. Back to the scripture. He says, so if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? They cast it. Uh, verse 28. But if I am casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. He says, for who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up, and then plunder his house. Jesus is the stronger one. He is the one. The house that we talk, that is talked about here is the world. And the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. And so therefore, whenever he gives this parable, whenever he says this, he says, for who is powerful enough to enter a house of a strong man, the house of the strong man, this is Satan's domain. This is Satan's arena here is what he is saying. He says, but I am stronger. I can enter that house. I can tie him up. It is the spirit of God. And I can plunder his house. Isn't it great this morning that Jesus has plundered the house of Satan? Absolutely it is. And then he says these, these words that are so convicting. He says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. There is no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground whatsoever. You're either for Jesus, is what the Bible says, or you're against Jesus. There's nowhere in between. You may think, well, I'm not going, like, while I might not be a Christian, I might not be promoting Jesus. I'm not totally against him. I think he was a good man. I think he taught some good things. Things like, no, that's not what Jesus says. Absolutely. He says, if you're not for me, then you're against me. And the reason why is this, is because we have a sinful nature that is bent towards sin. So even in our own free will, or if that's what you want to call it, <laughs> um, even in your own free will, you will always veer towards sin. You will always be bent towards sin. So in anything that you do, apart from the goodness and the graciousness of God upon you through the Holy Spirit, then you will always be doing things that are against God. 
You will not be doing things that are for God, promoting God, glorifying God through good deeds. So he does not say here that there is any type of neutral ground. He simply simply says that either you're with me or you're against me. That's it. You're either working for me or you're working against me. And so I'm so convicted of that, even in my own life, because I think about like, what has God called me to do? What has God called all of us to do if we're sitting here today and we're believers? Well, ultimately, the whole purpose of all this is that the God that we would go out and we would proclaim the gospel. Okay? And so, what are we doing here? For me, it was, you called me to preach God. And so, but I'm not doing that. So am I opposing you and not doing that? So we have to think about in our own lives, what are we doing to actually promote the kingdom of God? What are we doing? He says, so I tell you every sin and blasphemy, verse 31, can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven forgiven. Wow, isn't that powerful? Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit. And so he says this because in Mark chapter 3, it's it's the same story that's recorded by uh, Mark. And here's what Mark chapter 3 verse 30 says. It says he um, told them this, talking about Jesus. Jesus told the, the Pharisees this because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. What the Pharisees were saying is that the, the power that Jesus had to be able to cast out of demons was evil. He is calling the Spirit of God evil. They, that's what they were doing. The Pharisees were calling the power that he, that Jesus had to cast out demons evil. I have seen so many, I'm part of a lot of different like Christian teaching groups on Facebook and stuff, and you can always put uh, different questions on there, and then you, we have, there's like brothers and sisters that come together and try to help to help understand the scriptures. And I think that this question comes up more. Like, what is the unforgivable sin? Like, what is the unforgivable sin? And have I committed it? And so the unforgivable sin is what I just said. It is saying that the work that God is doing through his spirit is an evil work. It's an evil power. And so the question becomes, well, have I committed that sin? Am I? Well, if you're sitting here today and you're asking yourself that, that's probably conviction from the Holy Spirit. So you probably haven't committed that sin. And second off, if in fact that you believe in Jesus and you believe that he died for you and that he paid for your sin, then you haven't committed that sin. Because if you had, you wouldn't be forgiven for it. And you, would, you wouldn't even care. You'd be wandering about in this world without any care whatsoever of the Spirit of God and what He's convicting you of. You, you wouldn't, it wouldn't even cross your mind. So there's a lot of unnecessary worry that goes into that question. And I've heard that so many times as a believer, people questioning about the unforgivable sin. But I would dare you, don't, don't say that. I dare you not to say that. Don't say anything evil against the Holy Spirit of God. So here's what he says in verse 33. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of vipers, how can evil men like you speak what is good and right? 
For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you. And so what we see here is we see the Pharisees, what Jesus is saying, the Pharisees, they're saying that, that he is doing these things because he has the power of Satan. He is from Satan. He is working for the prince of the demons. And he's saying that their heart is evil. They're evil. It's what they're thinking. What, what we feel in our heart is what we say, folks, right? How convicting that is. You can think back to th- some of the things that I've said this past week alone. And I'm like, man, why did I say that? And I'm going to have to give an account for that. It's what the Bible says. But it says that a good tree will produce good fruit. And he asked that question, how can evil men like you speak what is good and right? They can't, can't. The fair, but see, the, here's the thing, because the Pharisees are blind. So they think that what they are speaking, what they are saying is good, and they think that it is right. And you will find that in the world today. Anybody who is outside of Jesus, who is in this world, they think that what they are saying is good, and they will think that it is right in what they're saying. And they will even go so far as to promote it, sometimes give their life to it, and follow after it. And it's so, so it's not our job to necessarily convince convince them whether it is good or right. It is our job to convince them that they are sinful people and that they need Jesus. Their only hope is Jesus. And then he will correct that. And so what do we do? We just preach the gospel. We just preach the gospel. But I would dare tell you this, that the Bible teaches that none is good. Because he says here that a good tree will produce good fruit. But the Bible says that none are good. None is righteous. No one seeks after God. This is what Romans 3 says. So what is our only hope? Jesus. Absolutely Jesus. That's right. He takes that heart of stone and he gives you that heart of flesh. He takes what was evil intentions in your heart and he makes them good intentions for his purposes, for his glory. Man, it's so amazing. So amazing. Romans 10.10 says that one believes with the heart resulting in in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. We will give an account for every word that we speak, even that word that you spoke whenever you say, Lord, I surrender. And that's what's going to be what saves you. That you have put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. That you hope and rest in him for salvation alone. That there is nothing else in this entire world that is ever going to satisfy you, that is ever going to save you, and you know that. But God has done an amazing And so... As we end here today, we're going to take communion again. And so you guys will just come up. There's uh, over here, over there, some in the back also. Um, And just get in groups again. But there's a lot of things in this scripture that is so convicting that we need to look at. Think about whatever he said, who isn't for me is against me. Think about that. Where are we at today? Think about the the good tree producing good fruit. Look at the fruit in your life. What am I producing? Am I close enough to God? Am I in fellowship with God? Am I running from God? Am I doing things that are opposing God? The great thing is, though, is there's grace. There's grace this morning. And so that's why we take communion. Because his body was broken and his blood was shed on the cross to pay for all of our sin. Past, present, future. Any sin that you've committed this past week, any perpetual sin that you've had in your life, and it seems like it just God can change that. God can take that. It's by his grace. And so as you come forth this morning and you get in your groups, break up, 
Just give God thanks for what he has done. Give God thanks. And I pray that if there's anybody here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is and you want to know more, you're feeling convicted, I pray that you would surrender your life. If you want to talk to anybody about it, you can find me after church and I would love to talk with you about it. Thank you.